This podcast is brought to you by Allegiance Wines, the only wine company you can look this up whose products are guaranteed to contain no bloody nanobots. All right, get on with your nonsense. Bit of microphone noise. And good evening. Tony Martin here. If you're looking for the Sizzletown season finale, this isn't it. Uh, Episode 39, one before this. That's the one you want, so switch this off and pop back there. As for the rest of you persisting with our Unplugged series, this is the last one of those, and it's just me sitting under a doona in my lounge room, speaking into a Zoom recorder and accompanied by a Beavis and Butthead doll. (laughs) Kick ass. As always. Uh, Hopefully we won't be interrupted by the cat who's lurking around. Not very happy with the fancy feast redesign. They've changed the cans and they've changed the contents. He's not happy, but sadly for him, with Unplugged, there are no callers, so (laughs) he can't contribute. There's also no Matt Dower, so I apologise if we're peaking in the left channel, as I'm told we often are. And uh, as for theme music... Well, Damien Cowell has uh, rigged up this doorbell to play our theme, I'm told. So I just hit this and, oh, there it is. All right, see you on the other side. Yes, thanks to Allegiance Wines, it's Sizzletown Unplugged. Shut up, fart knocker. All right. Now, if you've been listening to these, you'll know what happens is I print out a year, a year from a file I've been making for 40 years of every single movie I've seen, who directed it and how many stars I gave it at the time. Now, when we started in 1980, there was like, I think, 39 films and... Then the next year, there was 26. Uh, Anyway, I've printed out 1983. (laughs) I've seen 111 films. Whoa. That's right, 111 movies. So I guess this episode is going to have to run four hours. No, don't panic. I'm going to try and get through it as quickly as I can. And uh, Many of them are, are just films I'm seeing for the second or third time, so we can brush past those. Uh, First film I saw in 1983, and by the way, feel free to play along at home. See if you can remember what you were doing in 1983. I was still living in Auckland, working in a dark room at an ad agency during the day and uh, struggling away on the amateur theatre stages at night time. What else was I doing? Not having a girlfriend. (laughs) That was something I was doing. And uh, clearly seeing... As my mother-in-law pointed out, a lot of science fiction movies. I wonder if those two facts are connected. Anyway, first film I saw in 1983 was Conan the Barbarian, given that three stars. And then, oh, would have been only, wow, four or five years later, I was doing a sketch on the degeneration called Conan the Librarian. Of course I was. Weird Al Yankovic. He did that one on uh, his film UHF and so did Alexi Sale on his series Alexi Sale's Stuff. We all ran for that one. 
then I saw E.T. for the second time, took my brother to see that. Then Annie. Oh, the musical Annie, directed by John Huston. Can you believe that? One star I've given it. That was in the days where John Huston would do like really interesting film like Wise Blood or Under the Volcano. And then he'd do Escape to Victory with Sylvester Stallone or Phobia with Starsky. Uh, then I saw a double feature of Jaws and Poltergeist. We've talked about those. Then American Werewolf in London. Three stars I've given that. Probably give that more now. It's a very strange combination of comedy and horror that people hadn't quite seen before. I do remember there's like a scene where he wakes up from a dream and then something even worse happens. He wakes up from another dream. That was pretty amazing at the time. Pink Floyd's The Wall. One star. Alan Parker. Can't remember anything about it. I think Bob Geldof was in it. That's right. Sorry. Gratuitous Geldof. Uh, Deliverance. John Borman. Three stars. Now, this is interesting because I remember a bloke I worked with went, what did you think of the squeals like a pig scene? And I go, I didn't see that. And turns out it was censored in New Zealand, or at least the one I saw. There was no pig squealing or, or anything. It was like hard to see what all the fuss was about. Anyway, that was followed by Young Frankenstein, four stars. The most disciplined of the Mel Brooks comedies and written with Gene Wilder. And it makes you go, why didn't he write more with him? That would have been a good idea. But then the next film I've seen, Zorro Swings Again, one star directed by Peter Medak, who, of course, did The Craze and I think did that disastrous Peter Sellers film called uh, Ghost in the Noonday Sun, which I think you can now see, which, in fact, you could see on VHS. In a, no, let's, this is already going to be way too long if we go down that path. The thing about that film is it was called Zorro the Gay Blade overseas. So they've obviously thought, oh, that's a bit controversial for New Zealand. We'll give it the much less gay title of Zorro Swings Again. Uh, Night Shift. What was, oh, Night Shift, of course. Uh, director Ron Howard, three stars. That was Henry Winkler. And uh, the first Michael Keaton film. We all love Michael Keaton uh, in Auckland. When we saw that, Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy, Woody Allen film. I've given it three stars, but I remember it wasn't very funny. But uh, I think it's actually looking quite good. Although, am I even meant to talk about Woody Allen? Are we even allowed to have this conversation? Unfortunately, there's several more Woody Allen films on this list. So let's forge on. Utu, director Jeff Murphy. This was uh, another film from the director of Goodbye Pork Pie. I've given it four stars, and we were very proud as a nation when Pauline Kael gave it a rave review. I remember that. I think that was on the news. Uh, double feature of Raging Bull, five stars, and True Confessions, two stars. Raging Bull was just amazing, I thought. And then after Interval, the audience were audibly heard to observe that uh, Robert De Niro clearly hadn't had time to lose all the weight from Raging Bull for True Confessions, where he plays a very portly priest. Uh, Young Doctors in Love, two stars. That was Gary Marshall's first film and uh, an attempt to do a medical version of Airplane or Flying High, Jump on That Bandwagon. Terrible, if I remember. 
but I've given it two, so it must have had a couple of good jokes in it. Two stars also for So Fine. Now, I hate to say that because it's Andrew Bergman who did, uh, who wrote Fletch, the first one, very good, I think, and also wrote and directed one of the great comedies, The In-Laws with Alan Arkin, now in the Criterion Collection. Uh, but So Fine was a film with Ryan O'Neill based around the concept of a man invents a pair of jeans with see-through panels on the butt cheeks. I'm just letting you take that in because that is the entire premise of the film. Then a double feature of The Spy Who Loved Me and For Your Eyes Only, which I've already seen. Oh, then my favourite year. Richard Benjamin, I've given that five stars. I do love that movie. It's just been uh, released on Blu-ray in the US, but it's region-free for you nerds out there, uh, with Peter O'Toole, who's absolutely brilliant in that film, Oscar-nominated for a broad comedy. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, yeah, just I can't say enough good things about my favourite year. Missing. Costa Gavras film. Missing is my memory of this film because I think it was Jack Lemmon and Sissy Spacek, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Four stars nonetheless. Then Tootsie, five stars. Oh, dear. I'm told by younger comedian friends of mine that Tootsie is uh, on the problematic list. It's as though I were recommending Carry On Matron to you. What a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> oh, that's unfair. But, yeah, I thought Tootsie was a pretty good comedy, but I'm told I have to keep that opinion to myself from now on. Uh, so I'll just put it in this podcast and um, hopefully word won't get out. Uh, Sleeper, four stars, another Woody Allen, giant banana skin joke. I've then seen Love and Death and Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex again for the second time. Then I've seen Bananas. And then the next night, I've been to see Bananas again. Three stars. Uh, then I've seen, oh, wow, a double feature of Horse Feathers and Duck Soup. Probably the two funniest Marx Brothers films. Five stars for both of them. On the big screen. Imagine that. Uh, Prince of the City, five stars. Now, that's a very long Sidney Lumet uh, police corruption film. I guess he did a trilogy, didn't he? There was Serpico and then later there was Q&A with, um, not with Tony Jones, with Nick Nolte. Although wouldn't you like to see Nick Nolte hosting Q&A? Wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Prince of the City starred Treat Williams and many years later I met Treat Williams, and this is a bit name droppy, but at a dinner that Sam Neill arranged for everyone who worked on the dish. I didn't, but my wife at the time did, so I got to go to this dinner. And I remember there's about 30 of us in this uh, sort of private room at a fancy restaurant, and there was a uh, an empty seat opposite me. And I'm sitting there going, wow, who's going to be uh, sitting there? And I looked away, and when I looked back, Brian Brown was sitting there staring me in the face. And all I could think of was... Oh, I wonder if he heard that joke I did on The Late Show where I compared him to a tree stump. And he just looked at me and then I realised he was so drunk that he had no idea where he was. And he was there with Treat Williams, 
who I think they were both in a local uh, production of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but they were both 20,000 Leagues Under because neither could put a sentence together. And there's me <laughs> saying to Trent Williams, hey, what about Prince of the City? It didn't want to know. Uh, anyway, what else? Although he's very funny in a recent um, episode of Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. We have so many films to get to. I should not be plugging other podcasts. Then I saw Arthur with Dudley Moore, three stars. I remember John Gilgood having some zingers. Won an Oscar for a broad comedy. There you go. It can happen. Then Britannia Hospital, two stars. That's um, the kind of, uh, well, there was If and then there was Oh Lucky Man. I think that's another trilogy, isn't it? Britannia Hospital. Malcolm McDowell playing the same character. There's a bit where his head is stitched onto his body and it starts to come loose and it's very disturbing. <laughs> that's all I can remember. Um, double feature, Secret Policeman's Other Ball, three stars. Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many times can one man see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Then I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark again. And then Jaws again. Okay, moving on. World According to Garp, four stars. Oh, now this got huge laughs in New Zealand because John Lithgow, in an Oscar-nominated performance, plays a character called Robert Muldoon. And our Prime Minister at the time, who was hated by all, was called Robert Muldoon. So the audience were crying with laughter. And then halfway through the film, he has a sex change and becomes Roberta Muldoon. And the audience were just rolling in the aisles. It was the funniest thing anyone had ever heard. Uh, the verdict, four stars, fair enough. Then I finally saw Goodbye Pork Pie <laughs> after lying to my mum that I'd seen it a couple of years earlier when I'd really been to Caddyshack. Three stars I gave it. The entire film is dubbed, if I remember. That puts a bit of a wall between you and the film now when you try and watch it. It's all been post-synced. Uh, Francis, very gloomy film with, uh, with uh, Jessica Lange. Three stars. 1900, Bernardo Bertolucci's 1900, and this was like the full five-hour version. I've given it three stars. And there's a very, I'm not going to describe it because my mother-in-law's listening. Uh, there's a very graphic uh, three-way scene with Gerard Depardieu and Robert De Niro uh, and a lady of um, inordinate uh, talents. I'm, I'm not even going to, you know, if you've seen the film, you know the scene I'm talking about. I think it's only in the five-hour version. Then I've seen Gandhi. Oh, my God. That's one of those films that wins Best Picture at the Oscars and no one ever sees it again. Three stars nonetheless. I've then seen The World According to Garp for a second time. I think I was on a date, if I remember, a very um, disastrous date, although we did laugh at Roberta Muldoon all over again. Gregory's Girl, which is... <laughs> pretty much what my uh, love life was like at the time. Four stars for Gregory's Girl. Still works, I reckon. Sophie's Choice, two stars. New York, New York, three stars. The Man Who Fell to Earth, only given it two stars. Saw that recently, liked it a lot more. 
A race ahead. I'm just racing through this because we'll be here all night. A race ahead, four stars. That freaked me out. <laughs> Sharky's Machine, directed by and starring Burt Reynolds. Can't remember anything about it. One star. Blade Runner, only three stars. Flying High 2, or, it, well, Airplane 2, as it was called in New Zealand. Uh, that Have I given that no stars? Could I have given it no stars on principle? Because it was terrible, and the Zucker Brothers had nothing to do with it. It was directed by a man called Ken Finkelman, who in one year made Flying High 2 and Grease 2. There was one good joke in Flying High 2, and it was like the only joke that wasn't from the original where you thought William Shatner was on a TV screen and then it was actually a door and he was talking through the window. I've really done it justice here. Uh, Then I've seen a very interesting film called Burden of Dreams by Les Blank. It's a documentary about the making of Fitzcarraldo, the Werner Herzog film, and I urge you to track that down. It has got some fantastic footage of Mick Jagger, who was originally playing... Hang on, was he... He was the character, I think, was played by Jason Robards, and he had a couple of weeks too many in the jungle and just flew out of there. He'd had quite enough of Klaus Kinski. Oh, then I've seen Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, three stars. Now, what I remember about that is it was 3D, so there was a lot of really, you know, shock effects, like an arrow going through someone's eye in 3D, that sort of stuff. But what I remember worked best was a scene where the Jason, the Jason, the bad guy, is hiding in amongst some sheets on a clothesline that are just sort of blowing sort of in the wind in a very ghostly fashion and they appeared to sort of blow out of the screen. I remember thinking that is the kind of stuff that 3D is good for, sort of atmospherics. Shut up, Bartnogger! Jaws, seen that again in a double feature with, fuck me, Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many times? I must have seen this film 12 times. The Dark Crystal, three stars. Mad Max, three stars, the original, which in New Zealand was promoted as a snuff movie. Like in all the promotions, they said, oh, this film's been banned for two years because this is 1983, three years actually, maybe four. And it was because someone actually was killed in that, you know, front-on truck crash. And that's what they said in all the advertising. Like, come and see somebody actually dying in a movie. And then I moved to Australia. I'm going, so is that true about Mad Max? Everyone's, no. What are you talking about? Wikipedia it. No one was killed. That was how they promoted it in New Zealand. Cat People, the remake, one star. The Man with the Deadly Lens, Richard Brooks. Oh, no one would remember this film. Two stars. It's sort of satirical comedy uh, about, I think, arm smuggling or, or something like that. And I remember that was the film where in the final shot, Sean Connery is about to jump out of a plane and he turns to the camera and takes his toupee off, which he'd never done in a movie before, like barreling the camera, takes the toupee off, winks and jumps out of the plane and they run the end credits. The craziest ending to any major studio film. Uh, Then I've seen 48 Hours, given that four stars. We all love that. Um, Das Boot, 
two stars. Autumn Sonata by Ingmar Bergman, one star. And I remember thinking, that is the most boring film I've ever seen. And it put me off Ingmar Bergman films for about 30 years. And now, as an elderly nerd, I've seen a few of the good ones. I'm like, what were you thinking? So now it's like catch-up time there. Uh, The Tin Drum gets five stars. Midnight Express, three stars. Death Trap, Sydney Lumet. That was, uh, I think, Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. Three stars. Oh, now here, this is where we're entering into what I remember as being a fantastic two weeks at the Classic Cinema in Auckland, which is next to the Town Hall, which used to be a porno cinema, then in this period was an art house cinema, and now is, of course, New Zealand's, I think, New Zealand's most famous comedy club. But, um, yeah, they had a two-week Jack Nicholson festival. So every night they had a different Jack Nicholson double feature and just listen to these great films. Opening night, Five Easy Pieces and The Shining, already seen The Shining, both five stars. The next night, Head, the monkey's film, which he co-wrote and appears in briefly, three stars. And The Last Detail, five stars. The next night, Going South, which he directed, John Belushi's in there somewhere, two stars. Chinatown, five. Imagine that. Imagine seeing The Last Detail, Chinatown, and Five Easy Pieces three nights in a row for the first time, like three solid gold classics. Then I've had a break from Jack Nicholson and seen Diva, which was very fashionable, but I only gave it two. Then back to Jack Nicholson for The Passenger, three stars, and The Missouri Breaks, three stars. All I can remember about that is uh, Marlon Brando in a dress, wielding a shotgun. Then I've been to see The King of Comedy for the first time at the Auckland Film Festival, five stars. Now, people love The King of Comedy now, but it freaked the audience out, that weird sort of tone that we now know so well from things like The Office and Curb Your Enthusiasm, that sort of comedy of discomfort. That was completely new at the time. And people hated it, but I I thought it was pretty incredible. Then I've seen Reds, which I've given four stars. Blue Thunder. This is really long. I have to say, if you're hanging in, congratulations if you've made it this far. I think it's actually the sun's coming up out there. This is really going on. I'll continue. Blue Thunder was a film. Someone explained this to me. Uh, All the film directors in Hollywood in the 70s had a competition to see who could get the most number of chickens into a film. Apparently, this all started with uh, Woody Allen's Sleeper, in fact, where I think there's a giant chicken at one point. And so there was a point system. And then John Badham, who directed Saturday Night Fever and did Blue Thunder won the competition uh, by having a scene where um, a helicopter blows up a building which contains hundreds of chickens on rotisseries and cooked chickens just rain down on central Los Angeles and that was the end of that particular contest. (laughs) True story, apparently. What else we got? Hammett. Oh, yes, Vim Vendors is Hammett. Very strange colour timing. We don't have time to talk about colour timings. 
then I saw City of Women, Fellini, first Fellini film I've seen, only given it to, this is the Auckland Film Festival. That's what's going on here. Oh, yes. Now, Clean Slate, or Coup de Torchon, directed by Bertrand Tavernier, I remember had a very abrupt ending. And the next day in the New Zealand Herald, the reviewer said, uh, amazing, enigmatic ending that really made the whole film. Uh, then we found out a couple of days later, the last reel hadn't been delivered to the film festival, so it had just ended 20 minutes too early or something. So, yes, uh, we all we all laughed at 1983. Then I've seen The Atomic Cafe, which is a documentary made up of atomic age propaganda from the 1950s with the duck and cover film, all that sort of thing. We all laughed very ironically. Uh, local Hero, given that three stars. Diner. Five stars for Diner. That was also at the Auckland Film Festival. That was a great film. Still is. Barry Levinson's first film. And whenever you see people talking about Seinfeld and discussions about nothing or Pulp Fiction, all that stuff about the Royale with cheese, I always say that kind of talk about trivia really dates back to Diner because we hadn't heard that kind of dialogue in a movie before. Two people driving down the street and one saying, you know a word I can't get comfortable with? Nuance. I can't slip it into a conversation. People didn't talk like that in movies before Diner, I don't think. And uh, consequently, it was a huge flop. Uh, then I've seen... <laughs> wow. So I'm seeing all the biggies and being unimpressed. Passion by John Luke Goddard. One star. Uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life, on the other hand, three stars. Flash Dance, one star. Can't have been impressed there. Then I've seen the Atomic Cafe again. And obviously, when it's the second time, like very soon, it's usually I'm on a date. That's usually what's going on there. Yes, I've seen The Meaning of Life for a second time. Then I've seen Superman 3, which I've only given two stars to. That was the one that starred Richard Pryor. In fact, I think he was first in the credits, but uh, didn't make for a great film. Psycho 2, four stars. Way better than people think. Made by an Australian, Richard Franklin. Yellowbeard, one star. Fair enough. Then I've seen Star Wars of the Empire Strikes Back for God knows how many times I'd seen that double feature. King of Comedy, gone to see that again. Now in general release, still creeping out audiences. Four stars. Educating Rita. I'm sure I would have gone to see that with my mum. Three stars. Atlantic City. Five stars for Louis Mal's Atlantic City. Nowadays, all people talk about is uh, topless Susan Sarandon. But there's a lot more to it than that. Great Burt Lancaster performance. He was having a good year, local hero. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr Lawrence. By the way, we're at... Uh, Number 97, so not long to go. 111 films on this list. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which I've only given one star. Uh, interesting story there. About a year before that film came out, walking down the main street of Auckland, woman with a clipboard comes up to me and says, how would you like to be in a movie with David Bowie? 
And what she was looking for was emaciated-looking young men who could play prisoners of war in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence with David Bowie and uh, who else was in that? Tom Conti, I think. Uh, yeah, Nagisa Oshima was the director and it was all made, a lot of it was made in Auckland. The Japanese military base is in fact uh, Auckland Railway Station. And then I, what I would have to do is take two weeks off work and go to, I don't know, Vanuatu or somewhere, somewhere in Polynesia where they were filming it and I couldn't get two weeks off work. And David Bowie was furious. Anyway, then I've seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time, three stars. That would have been at one of those midnight screenings where people do the full works. Play it again, Sam, another Woody Allen, although not directed by Woody Allen. I think they felt uh, it was such a valuable property, having been a Broadway hit, that uh, a more adult director would have to take the reins. And that was Herbert Ross. Four stars I've given it. Then I've seen The Meaning of Life for the third time. What must have been going on there? Peter Pan. That's the cartoon Peter Pan. Three stars. I think that was mentioned in an earlier episode. Is that that one? There's a long list of directors who I'm assuming are animators. Anyway, move on. Then I've seen Manhattan at Annie Hall again. What was going on with me? Uh, Dead Kids by Michael Lachlan. Oh, yes. Now, this was a very creepy kind of a horror film, slightly satirical, shot in Auckland, set in America, but filmed in New Zealand for tax reasons, presumably. But that was a fun thing to do if you lived in Auckland, to go and see an American film where they were pretending that it was America when it was uh, clearly not. The Frighteners did that later when I think it was set in California, filmed in Lower Hutt. Uh, I've been to see My Dinner with Andre, which is, if you've never seen it, another Louis Malle film with just two blokes having dinner. That's the whole film. Pretty interesting uh, dialogue, but not a lot of action. Uh, then Mephisto, that was a fashionable art house film that no one ever mentions anymore. I think it was where we all got to know Klaus Maria Brandeur. Is he in anything now? Is he still alive? Who would know? The internet, that's who. What about uh, Return of the Jedi? Four stars, despite all those Muppets. But yeah, I was pretty impressed. War Games, three stars, also from John Badham. No chickens in that one. Never Say Never Again. That was a kind of rival Bond production, wasn't it? Remake of Thunderball. Rowan Atkinson was in it, playing a character called Small Fawcett, if I remember. Then I've seen a proper... That's right, they both came out at the same time. Octopussy, the proper James Bond film, with Roger Moore, still in the tan slacks, came out. And they'd abandoned all pretense of gritty realism by this point. I think he's painted up as a clown at one point. Kind of a low point for the Roger Moore series. And finally, yes, listeners, finally, number 111, off to see Return of the Jedi again. Four stars. Well, there you go. Every film I saw in 1983. And sadly, that's the end of this series because I think the next year... 
home video arrived on the scene, so I probably saw like 300 films the following year. We don't have time for that. Uh, thanks for listening to this mad idea. People seem to have been enjoying it. I thought surely too boring for a podcast, but no. In fact, uh, some of these are doing better than the proper Sizzletown. But anyway, uh, let's have a break while I rustle up a story, a short one. Uh, Here's a few more extracts from my appearances on Chrissy Salmon Brownie. Hey, I saw a comedy sketch in real life yesterday. You know, when something happens and you don't have to change it, you don't have to exaggerate it, it's just a perfect comedy sketch. Yes. Here's a job I had to do. A friend of mine hasn't got a car, had to drive him to Glen Waverley yes. so that he could go to, and I know this isn't a fit subject for breakfast radio, the Airwax Clinic. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a clinic where it's just people with giant syringes Getting rid of earwax. 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 Earwax, that's right. Now, the only reason I... say air? Air. Oh, sorry, is that the Kiwi pronunciation? Yeah, coming out. How long have you been? How long have you been here? 33 years. There was a a Kiwi bloke on um, uh, Escape from the City last week, and he just kept going on about his infinity pool. I'm sorry, I'm not (laughs) going to have this property unless there's an infinity pool. (laughs) So anyway... There's an earwax clean. Earwax clean. The only reason I bring it up is, so I'm sitting with him in reception, Yes. and every five minutes, the bloke comes out and goes, "Uh, Thompson? Is there a Mr. Thompson? Thompson? I'm going, that's you. Get out. Oh, sorry. And one (laughs) after another... These deaf bastards miss their cues. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Jank, have we got a Henderson? <laughs> Is there a Mr. Henderson here? <laughs> Should have had semaphore flags. Oh, no. Don't have to change. That don't is, have to add anything to it. You don't have to add no, a is. single thing. <laughs> that is unbelievable. It's <laughs> like a scene from Commando. Remember when he throws the metal pipe into our Bennett? He goes, let off some steam, Bennett. I love that line. <laughs> yeah, great, let off it? some steam, Bennett. <laughs> All the puns in it. You're good at that. That's what I And, you know, doesn't he, like, put someone on hook and goes, stop hanging around? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or something like that's Classic. the level. You see, you had those from Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You had James Bond, of course, dropping one-liners, and I find Jason Statham trying too hard yes. to be part of that action. Yes. Is that what he's, really? Yeah, there's one where, I think it's Expendables too. where <laughs> I now declare you man and knife. We <laughs> 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 stab somebody with a knife in a church, of course, so that it's not gratuitous. <laughs> Say it again, please. I now declare you. Murder knife. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Didn't he write those That's lines, terrible. eh? Terrible. Didn't he write it himself? Or do you, he, uh, he's, he, he's, he's like, I've got one. I've got one. Do you think he's reading through the script at home with his girlfriend? He goes, oh, yeah. bloody hell. Right. There's an opportunity. <laughs> Listen to this. That could be one. I could make that man a knife, couldn't I? That'd work, wouldn't it? Do Megalodon. Megalodon. <laughs> what, was he, Megalodon? He always, what was Megalodon? Megalodon is a giant oh dinosaur shark uh, from the film The, the Meg. Meg. And there's a bit <laughs> in the trailer where it's the music's like... And then they just cut to him and he goes, It's Megalodon. <laughs> and the, the syllables just tumble out in a way where you go, he's not sure if he's got it right or if he's left a syllable out. He's put an extra one in too. Because normally you just say Megalodon. That's but right, he goes, Megalodon. He's Megalodon. Megalodon. <laughs> he's not confident that he's got it. And we're back on Sizzletown Unplugged. Oh, 
no nudity. Well, I'm sorry. We just don't have any in this podcast. And just as well, thanks to everyone who sent in a kind message following episode 39. I'm on Twitter, of course, at Mr. Tony Martin. Matt's on there at The Pots and Pans. Matt also runs our Facebook and Instagram. And uh, if there's news of any upcoming Sizzletown activity, he'll be popping it up there. But in the meantime, I've dragged out another story. We really need a short one. Uh, This is something from the Scrivener's Fancy from 10 years ago. As always, I have not updated or changed any of the references. This is a thing I used to do called sample dialogue, where I would just uh, write down any conversations I had with shopkeepers or anyone I bumped into in the street. And this recalls a conversation I had uh, when we were making The Librarians. It's called In a Tree. What the hell is this crap? We're shooting scenes for the new series of The Librarians at a red brick house in Hughesdale, a suburb that can't decide whether it's Oakley, Ormond or Murrumbina. Wayne Hope is currently at the wheel, so I'm standing out the front trying to assemble a cup of tea on the freezing, fog-blown nature strip. Hey, aren't you that guy off Thank God You're Here? The voice belongs to a 14-ish looking boy and along with his eyeballs suggests that he is off his nut on something. Uh, Afraid so. Is that what yous are filming in there? Uh, No, this is The Librarians on the ABC. He bares his teeth, revealing a glinting mouthful of braces and throws me a look that suggests he has heard of neither the programme nor the network. Hey, do they give you the thing you're going to be doing before the show? Second only to questions about when enough rope is coming back, merely half of which are meant as a joke, are those about whether thank God your hair is rigged. People are obsessed with the possibility that my half-arse stammerings may have been prepared in advance. As I roll into my standard answer about how you're dragged into a tiny booth and stapled into a uniform less than a minute before Borny pushes you through the blue door with a laugh often far too generous for the lame joke you've just made about your costume, my fully pinned and lightly swaying interrogator carefully slides a single cigarette from his top pocket. Sorry, mate, I've only got one of these, he says, unsteadily lighting it with a green bick and puffing away like someone who's copying something from a movie. My answer tails off as I realise he is no longer listening and is instead peering down the driveway in the hope that someone more famous will appear. I'm getting into the music business myself, he offers, but declines to elaborate. I try to remember what I was doing at his age. I certainly wouldn't have dared flagrantly to smoke a cigarette in my street where word could easily have gotten back to mum, but then I wouldn't have been staggering around on anything stronger than the news that a fresh series of the goodies was starting the next week. He clocks me, staring at his cigarette. My orthodontist worked out I'd been smoking. Yeah? He coughs out a stop-starting laugh. But I hadn't been. Not these kind, anyway. I realise that this is my cue to be impressed, so I return his glassy smile, although I'm wondering whether I should be offering some sort of adult-type guidance. But what would I say? I'm no more a role model to the young than that moronic footballer whose wife is on Dancing with the Stars. Anyway, he continues, both me mum and dad reckon I'm going to be dead by 35. This does call for a response. What, are you not well? 
Nah, just from all the smoking and drinking. Drinking too now? Well, you could maybe take the foot off the pedal in that department. He just looks at me and laughs like I'm a square in a 50s movie warning the young'uns about the reefer menace. Them cunts have done that house up, haven't they? He asks. Yeah, looks like it, I say, turning back to our location for the last week. Used to be all run down and shit. Me and me mates used to sneak round the back to smoke and drink after school. Good Lord, sounds like smoking and drinking are the primary activities for kids round here. What's happened to the traditions of my day, like shoplifting and vandalism? So, how did you get into TV? He asks. What can I say? By slacking off at school, only being interested in comedy and getting expelled? True, it worked for me, but it's hardly solid inspirational advice for the kids. I try to word things as helpfully as possible. Look, anyone can do this. You've just got to really be into what you're doing and don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Christ, I sound like Evil Knievel addressing some orphans the night before a big jump. Yeah, right. He takes a final drag on his cigarette, stubs it out on the underside of his shoe and carefully returns the butt to his shirt pocket. I'm getting into the music business myself, he repeats. Well, good luck with that, I say, meaning it sincerely, but I can tell he thinks I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, right, he says again and stumbles off up the road. A minute later, he's back. What's this show again? Librarians? Uh, Librarians. He snorts as if to say, who'd watch that? Then I notice... He's smoking a second cigarette. He notices me noticing and for a moment looks genuinely guilty. It's all right, I say. I didn't want one anyway. It's me last one. I bet it isn't. (laughs) Nah, it's not, he blurts, giggling. I've got a whole packet in a tree. In a tree? Don't tell anyone, he says, making a shh gesture followed by another shaky exit. And I won't. His secret is safe with me. And I have no idea who the footballer whose wife was on Dancing with the Stars is. Don't know what that was referring to. Thanks for joining us for this final Sizzletown Unplugged. Uh, Visit allegiancewines.com.au and we'll see you next year, assuming Podworks hasn't burnt to the ground. Cheers. Megalodon.